Chapter 27 of The Curious Quest by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 27. For nearly three months Bliss persevered at what had seemed to him at first so impossible a task. Morning and afternoon, with his little black bag, he tramped the streets of Bethnal Green, Whitechapel, and the East End of London, making his daily round. He took his midday meal in all sorts of places, and in all sorts of company. His average earnings were about thirty shillings a week, but nearly half of that, notwithstanding her pitiful protests, he had lent to Francis, who, through the return to work of the girl whose place she had taken, was once more out of a situation. His boots were worn through, his clothes were shabby, he was conscious of moments of almost sickening anxiety as he waited with his pencil in his hand, hoping for an order from one of the small manufacturers upon whom he called. Night after night, somewhere about six o'clock, he returned to the little factory in Finsbury Place to make his report, and on each occasion whether he had been fortunate or unfortunate, he was conducted by Mr. Morgan to the nearest public-house, and regaled to the extent of one drink. It was curious how, for the last hour of his labours, he found himself looking forward to the moment when Mr. Morgan would take up his hat from the desk and jerk his thumb towards the door. He was beginning to experience an almost friendly feeling for this large, unwashed man who slaved throughout the day in a cellar, getting twice as much out of his pet machine as any paid operative could, and whom he began to realise was fighting a grim battle against shortness of capital. "'We shall pull through, young fellow,' he used often to say as they raised their tankards. "'You're the best chap I've had at selling heels.' and if I could only afford to give a bit of credit, we'd be roping it in. Here's looking at you. One evening, however, Bliss pushed open the door of the office, and stood still upon the threshold, dumbfounded. His employer, coatless and collarless as usual, was leaning forward upon his battered deal desk, his head fallen upon his arms. By his side, her hand resting upon his shoulder, was a middle-aged woman, plainly even shabbily clothed, with a pinched expression about the corners of her lips, which, in these days, Bliss had begun to recognise. He glanced around as he entered. "'Hello,' Bliss inquired. "'Anything wrong?' Mr. Morgan raised his head. His, in its way, was a coarse face, generally covered with the beginnings of a stubbly beard which were only removed at odd times during the week. He too, however, showed at that moment the common capacity for suffering. His lips were trembling a little, his shoulders had drooped. He seemed to have aged, to have lost something of the coarse vitality which, with him, had meant strength. He looked at Bliss dully for a moment. "'This is the young chap who sells the heels.' he said to the woman. You've heard me speak of him. My Mrs. Bliss. Bliss shook hands mechanically. No bad news, I hope. It's a scandalous bit of bad news, 
the woman replied, patting her husband on the shoulder. "'But don't get knocked down by it, Amos. We'll go and see these people together.' Bliss removed his hat and set down his bag. "'May I know what it's all about?' he inquired. "'No, Hummers, I can see nor any secret about it,' Mr. Morgan declared, throwing a piece of paper towards Bliss. "'You knew that the big machine wasn't paid for. It's been all I could do lately to pay cash for the leather, though I'm not saying that we're not making a nice little profit on the heels. You see what the engineers say, though. They're going to remove the machine to-morrow. I'm only a fortnight behind, but I paid forty pound on the thing, and the brutes collar that.' "'Can they do it?' Bliss asked incredulously. Mr. Morgan nodded. "'They can,' he replied. "'I always knew that there was a risk if I got a bit behind. Ninety-seven pounds it is. I broke Bliss. Sorry, as we were getting on so well together. I'm sorry, too, for the old woman's sake,' he sighed, patting her hand. "'We've had the devil's own luck both over in the States and here, and this time it did seem as though we might have won through.' Six months more of the business I'm doing, and I could have paid for the machine and put another in. There's no one understands this trade as I do, and there's money in it. Is there any use going to see these people? Bliss asked. None, Mr. Morgan answered gloomily. The manager brought this message round himself. A beast of a man, the woman declared. He listened to all Amos and I had to say, and just smiled. The money or the machine tomorrow at twelve o'clock. Never mind, Amos, she went on with an attempt at cheerfulness. You'll just have to make another start, and that's all there is about it. He looked lifelessly down at the desk. I'm too old, he muttered. This time I'm broken, Harriet. Bliss experienced a queer sensation which had sometimes stolen into his consciousness during these last few months. Life was no longer a procession of mirrored days. He felt himself breathing a real atmosphere, his feet upon the earth, in intimate touch with the joys and sorrows of live men and women. There was a little lump in his throat, a hot feeling behind his eyes, and suddenly a wave of exquisite pleasure. "'Look here,' he said. "'I've an idea, Mr. Morgan. If you'll just step along with me as usual for a minute, we'll see what can be done.' Mr. Morgan shook his head. "'I guess beer would choke me tonight.' "'You come right along,' his wife insisted briskly. "'And if I'm not in the way, a glass of stout is just what I should like. We'll hear what the young man has to say, Amos.' Mr. Morgan rose wearily to his feet. Bliss led the way to their accustomed rendezvous. They sat before a marble-topped table, in a sweltering atmosphere, impregnated with the odour of past libations. Bliss himself carried the three tankards to the table. "'Here's luck,' he said. Mr. Morgan replied gloomily. Mrs. Morgan raised her veil and sipped from her tankard. Her red hands were worn with toil. She watched Bliss all the time, anxiously. Perhaps she recognised in his confidence some possible means of salvation. 
"'Look here,' Bliss confided. "'I know a young fellow. He's a perfect fool, but he's a relative of mine. He won't do a thing for me, never done me anything but harm in my life. But he's the sort of chap who's rather fond of doing other people a good turn, and he's rolling in money. I believe, in fact, I'm pretty well sure,' Bliss went on, "'that I can get him to lend you this bit.' Mr. Morgan sighed. "'It don't sound very likely,' he declared bluntly. "'If you knew a mug of that description, it don't seem to me that you'd be selling heels at thirty bob a week.' "'Ah, uh, that's just where you're wrong,' Bliss assured him. "'You leave this matter to me, and don't worry. You've found me pretty truthful, haven't you?' "'I'm not denying it,' Mr. Morgan admitted. "'Then let me tell you that I wouldn't deceive you in a case like this. You say the money has to be paid by midday tomorrow? Very well. By eleven o'clock, or soon after, you shall have it. You may take my word for it.' They were cheered, but not wholly convinced. Bliss, however, fetched them a second tankard from the bar. "'Your husband and I,' he told Mrs. Morgan, have had a drink here every night after work, and only one. Tonight it's going to be two. I can see that neither of you quite believe me, but I'm going to keep my word, so there's no use sitting there looking miserable. By eleven o'clock tomorrow I'm bringing the money. Then, if you do, Mrs. Morgan declared, holding out her hand and struggling to hide the tears in her eyes, all I can say is, we'll bless you all our lives. At precisely ten minutes past eleven on the following morning, Bliss pushed open the door of the little office and entered. Mrs. Morgan was standing at the window, watching the street. She turned eagerly towards Bliss. He nodded, smiling. "'It's all right,' he told her, producing a handful of notes. "'I've got it.' She rushed to the other door, which led down to the cellar. "'Amos!' she called out. "'Amos! The young man's here! He's got it!' Mr. Morgan, fresh from his machine, came up the stairs at a pace which seemed incredible. He wiped his hands upon his apron. His eyes seemed glued on Bliss's face. "'It's all right,' Bliss assured him. "'I've got the money. Sit down and we'll count it.' Mr. Morgan's underlip suddenly quivered. "'Got it?' he faltered. "'You've got the money?' Bliss dangled the roll of notes. "'Of course I've got it,' he replied. "'Didn't I tell you so? Come on, sit down, and I'll hand it over.' Mr. Morgan moved toward the desk like a man in a dream. Suddenly he caught his wife's hand. Her arms went round his neck. He turned awkwardly away towards the window, and they stood there together for a moment. "'Well, I'm jiggered,' he said twice, slowly. Bliss made a great business of lighting a cigarette. When they turned around he had pulled up his chair to the side of the desk and affected not to notice them. He spoke in his most business-like manner. "'This young fool of a chap,' he went on, "'was just in the right mood when I tackled him.' I explained the difficulty we had in selling our heels because we had to insist upon cash, and he has made a proposition which I hope you will agree to. Here's the hundred pounds to pay for the machine outright. Bank of England notes, you see. 
and what this young ass proposes is that he should advance you five hundred pounds. I've got the notes here, on your note of hand, interest to be paid at five per cent per annum. Is that agreeable to you, Mr. Morgan? Is that what? Mr. Morgan faltered unsteadily. Agreeable. Will you accept the money on those terms? Bliss asked. Mr. Morgan made no further pretense at concealing his emotion. He leaned his head upon his arms and sobbed. His wife sat by his side and patted his shoulder. "'Don't take any notice of him for a moment, Mr. Bliss,' she said. "'We've had a real hard time, he and I, always struggling a little way up and always being beaten back. There was never such a worker as Amos, either. Nothing seemed to discourage him.' I've seen him face ruin half a dozen times, through no fault of his own, and not take on like this. But it'll do him good. Seventeen years we've had, and never more than two or three pounds a week to draw, and bad luck coming along just as things got going every time, and I expect this is a bit too much for him. But it's there. The money's there, isn't it, young man? You're not taking it away again?' Bliss stuffed the notes carefully into Mr. Morgan's pocket. "'All you've got to do is sign this,' he said. "'And then we've never done it in the morning before, but I think we might drop round the corner for one moment. Mr. Morgan's a bit upset, and I have had a busy morning myself.' Mr. Morgan lifted his head. He was himself again, rejuvenated, buoyant. He read through the few lines which Bliss had written, and signed them joyfully. Then he transferred the notes to the inside pocket of his coat, and buttoned it up. He held out both his hands to Bliss. "'Young fellow,' he declared with a beaming face, "'it was the luckiest day of my life when I boarded that tram-car from Camberwell. You've been the best thing that's happened into the lives of two people who've worked hard and done their best to live honest. That's all I can say. It ain't much. I'm a worker, not a talker. Mother, take his other arm and we'll go and have that drink. They marched down the stairs and into the street, bliss between the two of them. It was an ugly neighbourhood. The day was sulphurously hot. The smell of the public house was more poignant than ever. Mrs. Morgan's arm was linked through his on one side, his employer was gripping him tightly on the other. Mrs. Morgan's bonnet was very much awry. One string was hanging down, and she'd forgotten her gloves. They both held on to bliss as though he were a lifelong friend. As though he were a lifelong friend. There was not a single redeeming element in the situation, Yet Bliss walked with his head thrown back, his heart beating with pleasure. The memory of those weary months of toil and privation seemed to have fallen away from him. It was one more real draught of the elixir of life. End of chapter 27